0: All right. I just want to, for the record, officially call you out, Pants. Why? Because I did some research here, some independent research. Independent? What What the fuck
1: podcast do you think this is? Why are you doing research?
0: Well, so the research was into beer, okay? Yeah? And while you can get four pints of Tecate for $6... And that's uh, four 16 ounces. Sure. I will pause it for just a few dollars more for $9 for six. Now, granted, these are 12 ounces. You can get Dale's Pale Ale. Why are you calling me out for this? Of course, Dale's Pale Ale is a better beer. I'm just saying the extra dollars, it's not that much more expensive. If you're going to drink a light beer, you should switch to the pale ale. It's,
1: it's That is that's that's not a price that I associate with like the really like that's that is a reasonable price. It's not a cheap price. It's not a cheap beer. And also, I think the real distinction is if you're at a bar, Takate will cost you like two fifty, three bucks a can. Dale's is going to be mm-hmm. six.
0: All right, you're fair because it's often that's fair there because it's often on tap. All right, you know what? I will make a another admission though. I took the remaining Tecate that I had. Mm-hmm. I only had one left. Burned I it. choked down the other three. No, I, I, I wanted to at first. I, I was lacking lime, and I didn't want to go buy lime for one beer. But I did do it, like, Michelada style. I tossed mm-hmm. some Cholula in there, as per yep. your recommendation. Okay, it went from, like, D or F tier, like, high F or low D tier, to a solid low
1: B. Wow. That's honestly better than I was expecting. Look, like it's... It becomes very it it becomes drinkable when you add hot sauce to it because it doesn't taste like
0: toccate. It tastes like hot sauce. Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> weird. Uh like that that vinegary flavor of hot sauce kind of like disappears and then like the shittiness of the toccate becomes not shit, I guess. Yeah. I won't say good, but not shit is 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 significant improvement.
1: But and, and in my opinion, that is like though that's the most that you can aim for when you're dealing one, with one of the shitty cheap beers is like I want this experience to be as painless as possible. Mm-hmm. Like that that, that, that is why I I I I've said this in general the other day and I maintain this and I will argue this until the day I die. Miller High Life is the best shitty beer because it tastes the closest to water. If I'm drinking a shitty beer, they all taste really bad, so I want the one that tastes the least.
0: Mm. It's what you traditionally want out of uh, American beer. Yeah, you know you you want it to be like sex in a canoe. Mm-hmm. It, fucking it's close fucking to close to water.
1: Mm-hmm. I think I initially heard that joke about Coors Light, but like I've I've since heard it about every single beer that like you can buy at a supermarket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> anyway,
0: I assume you're not putting any hot sauce in that Dale's. No. That would be a waste of both Dales and hot sauce. We should probably talk about stuff and things and things and stuff and Netrunner-related things. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, should we get into it? And I
1: wonder if
0: it's true. Do I suck like I put the sock on you?
1: Hello and welcome back to the Slums Cast. I'm your co host, NeuroPanzer, coin number 191
0: out of 200. And hello, I'm Josh, AKA Orbital Tangent, still Netrunner's OKest player, coin number one and coin number 69. <laughs> you kept coin number 69 for yourself. Jesus. Oh, absolutely. Why would I not?
1: <laughs> the is the play is, a a is to shock? make exactly 420 of them so you can keep that one too. <laughs> Oof. auction those off to, have, to the highest bidder
0: <laughs> we'd have to have a really really big worlds because if people like those we're gonna have a survey here soon on uh worlds and pricing and whatnot the idea is to still keep them to top half so
1: yeah how many people so we, we would on? need we would need 840 people at worlds for that to be a thing <laughs> jesus christ dan b if you're listening to this get to work uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, he might get
1: us there, like, honestly. Yeah, that'd be sick. Sorry, I forgot to finish the intro. This is a podcast about trying to be good at Netrunner and spectacularly failing to be good at Netrunner. It is not a podcast where you go to learn to be better at Netrunner. It is not a podcast where you go to learn to be a better person. You might learn a little something about shitty beer, apparently. That's become weirdly a theme the last few episodes. This is a fairly informal episode. We'll probably have some segments Worlds happened recently. We obviously had Sokka on the world champ, but this is an excuse for us to go through kind of our personal journeys with Worlds, which might look a little different from yours if you were there, because Josh, you were the sysop of ceremonies at Worlds and, and I was I was in the stream dungeon most of the day. So we had a little bit different experiences of
0: Worlds for most people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you want to start? We could talk about how you started the weekend. Uh, you, you didn't start on the commentary. You notably started on the Crown of Servers team tournament. So that's,
1: that's true. I was not commentating all weekend. I went in knowing I don't want to play in the main event. I want to commentate that. I don't want to play startup because the main event will still be happening then. I do want to play the team tournament like, you know, crown of servers, king of servers. It's always the highlight of worlds, in my opinion, and the experience of being able to actually talk to people while you play Netrunner and have them validate that your plays are not completely shitty is is, is a really nice feeling. Also, you get to flex on people like that's the most important thing. Um, ah. In your view from crown of servers, how how did it go compared to how you were
0: thinking? Oh, it started out very poorly. Really? Um <laughs> <laughs> well, so I thought that we were gonna start reasonably on time. I always have that goal for my tournaments. It, it never comes true. Well we started still even way later than I thought we would. Mm. and we had several technical issues to begin the day. so it was not great to start, but I think that once we actually got round one started and started to hit our stride, it went pretty well. And overall, I'm happy with the event. you know for for those of you that are new or only played in Crown of servers once, It has its roots in a old tournament that was played the day before Fantasy Flight Worlds called King of Servers, which started Mm -hmm. in 2015. Spags. Uh, one of the community celebrities uh, started that and ran, ran that until the final year in 2018, which happened directly mm-hmm. before Magnum Opus, the last FFG World. So, in the same uh, venue as Magnum Opus, which like that, that was mm-hmm.
1: unusual, right? Like all of them had happened offsite. And this one was like, nope, same room you play worlds in. That's where King of Servers is.
0: Yep. Yep. And actually, he contacted the FFG people to make sure that that could be reserved for us and kind of just tacked on to worlds which was (laughs) sort of like the first like genesis of it maybe becoming an official thing once once we took over which was (laughs) i'm satisfied about that aspect how was the attendance how many teams were you expecting how many teams did you get jesus i was expecting like 25 maybe 30 teams Mm -hmm. we got like since since they're
1: three there are three people on a team that would be like you know
0: 75 so yeah something like that and yeah we ended up with 41 which equates to (laughs) 123 people and we almost had 42 there was like two people that could not find a third for their team or something like that i mean because that
1: was on that was on fucking friday right like people had to Mm -hmm. take off enough time from work or whatever to get to toronto to Mm -hmm. be ready in the morning on friday to play in this tournament
0: you don't expect that a lot of people are going to want to do that but I think the reason it's sustained itself is, you know, it's the perfect way to kick off an event like that, bringing you together with your friends. You are playing together mm-hmm. and you're playing together against another group. You're meeting that group as a whole like that. That shit's just awesome. Um, yeah.
1: The team structure, it isn't just like, OK, you've got three people and like the three people. That's how scoring works. You actually have a team name. Which yeah, it seems like a small thing, but I think is actually secretly one of the reasons the King of Servers, Crown of Servers is so powerful. Do you have the whole list with you? I know what like I, I know what our team name was, but there were some real fucking good ones. Let me pull that up. I can tell you what our team name was. So my yeah. team was me, Cranked and Andre, which if you watch the stream on the weekend, and sorry, by the weekend, I mean the main event and startup. Mercator or Merrick, old friend of mine from the network community, actually hopped in and did some commentary on Friday because they didn't have anyone lined up to do commentary. But on Saturday and Sunday, the three people who were doing commentary on Standard and then Startup were me, Andre, and Cranked. So we were like, hey, this would be fun. We'll do a commentator's team. What should we call the commentator's team? And we kind of debated it back and forth a little bit. And eventually, Cranked just made an executive decision. It came up with the name, Those Who Can Do. Those who can't commentate. And in my opinion, it was the best name on the entire fucking day. (laughs) That that thing killed me every fucking time.
0: It's a fire name. It's a fire name. I mean, it is tradition at this point to read out the entire list of team names before we start the tournament. And part of the reason we have to do that is just people bring the thunder when it comes to team names. Oh, yeah.
1: Even some of the simple ones like test team, please ignore.
0: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I like that one. Oh god, um, this one's
1: so good. I can't believe it's not snare.
0: Yeah, that one's that one's great. Um Gritty Works Project is simple, but oh, I like it. Gritty Works Project's so fucking good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to see you. <laughs>
1: Just a nice simple pun. You know, you like to see it. Unban you Cowards, which I think is like that that's that's one that's been in the game for a while now. I think that was like 2018 was the first time that that one happened.
0: Yeah. <laughs> the fire one from the uh, the old heads was, at least we're not playing startup. Yeah. <laughs> the winning team
1: also had one of the best team names, in my opinion, which was Apocalypse Now, That's What I Call Music, Volume 22.09. <laughs> yep, the 22.09 being a reference to the band list that came out yeah. directly before Worlds. <laughs> On a metal level, Chris DeSangeling friend of the cast go listen to the episode that he was on was on that team and i talked with chris i was like so are, are all of y'all playing apocalypse is that what this is is this like an apocalypse meme that somehow won king of servers and chris said no none of us were supposed to be on apocalypse but at the last minute someone audible to apocalypse so there's exactly one apocalypse player on the table
0: oh, that's really funny <laughs> so they were trying to ruse with their team name? yeah <laughs> that's that's so meta i know it's so good That reminds me of how I told everybody to pair up their individual matches. The memes of King of Servers or Crown of Servers, whatever you want to call it, are part of why I think it's also perfect. So there was the one year we had the uh, you know, the push your luck team where they tried to get the maximum push your luck. Yes. Yeah.
1: Excellent excellent
0: meme. I actually asked
1: Rotage about that because Rotage was on that team. Apparently, they've done that multiple times. Like there have been multiple push your luck teams. They actually talked about the mechanics of a like, like he and someone else who had been on at least one of those teams were, were there and they were uh-huh. talking about it. And like they usually have stipulations like you're only allowed to have one copy of push your luck in your deck. Oh. So you have to not only find the push your luck, you have to get yourself into a position where you have enough money to pump into a push your luck. You have to then win the push your luck. You have now made 20 whatever credits with push your luck. I don't know. Maybe you still lose the game. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, we've talked about this before, so I just kind of assume people know what that is. The Push Your Luck team, the idea is all of those stipulations apply at the end of each round, I think it is, or it might be the end of the day. I like to think it's the end of the round because it's more in keeping with the spirit of the event. Whoever had the biggest push your luck from that round successfully resolved and won, everyone else on the team buys them a beer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that's fantastic. I want to be part of that team now. So if, if if you if you are successfully winning a bunch of push your lucks, you're just getting more and more into that zone where you're just going to be sloppier and sloppier with your push your lucks.
0: Oh, wait. wait, wait. So they drink <laughs> the beers
1: between rounds? I don't know if that's actually true. I'm like, I might just be completely making this up. That is the world I want to exist, though. Excellent. Well, you know, that's scoring juice. It I is. I mean, It is. Yeah. Provably, it makes you better at Netrunner.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The meme as it relates to and, and I think this is keeping keeping in the spirit of the event. We're probably going to keep doing mm-hmm. this is so your teams are matched up based on overall points. Like yeah. so it's just points to points, like you would in any tournament, right? But I told everybody we're not going to track your individual wins, nor are we going to handle your pairings between teams. We suggest low to high, but if you can't agree, you're going to call over a judge and we're going to resolve it in the funniest way possible. <laughs> I did actually have one of those on the day. Ooh. Which was fantastic. I think it was the APAC champs featuring Chris mm-hmm. versus it was either the Jaded Boatheads or the higher ranked UK team. Don't mention Street Paddler. So they couldn't agree on how they were going to get paired. Mm -hmm. So best two out of three rock, paper, scissors. And then the winning team got to uh, seat their players how they wanted. That's actually very funny. Mm -hmm. That was like the top
1: table, if I remember correctly. I remember them playing rock, paper, scissors and like some of them cheering really loud. And I was like, did they just replace the round of Netrunner with rock, paper, scissors? Well, (laughs)
0: sort of. There was actually a very deep discussion before we did the rock, paper, scissors about the mechanics of rock paper scissors so there was there was like some angle shooting on like okay do you go on three or do you go on shoot do you do one two three shoot or do you do one two three and then go with what you're picking and there was a (laughs) deep discussion about how one was philosophically better than the other um so this is when i knew that that rule was correct yeah if you can't pick your pairings it's got to be resolved in
1: some hilarious way yeah you also told us that we could match up to have like grudge matches which that came into play for us we ended up playing against a montreal area team so like they knew andre like andre is like a person that goes to their weeklies and stuff and one particular person was like i need to play andre like called out the shot like i want this grudge match i'm going for it got swept (laughs) andre just dumpstered him (laughs) That's the absolute best. We're like, you call the
0: shot and then you get blown out. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> that's like uh, that's like reverse flexing. The grudge match thing actually has history, too. So, like, in the very first King of Servers, not at the BDL Club, very, very tiny basement. We were elbow to elbow. My team is in no spot to win at mm-hmm. all or anything. But I get matched up against Dave Hoyland, who... Um, okay, you know, <laughs> Spoiler alert, like one of the best Netrunner players to ever play the game. Yeah, but maybe
1: hadn't already done this, but like was third at Worlds like either that year or the next year or something like that.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know about this deck, but there was this deck that was uh, building a better world CI. So it was a combo deck out of building a better world. I had learned about this deck and I had decided at my very first Worlds ever that I was going to bring this combo deck. Like game one, Dave just pulls me apart. I think you're doing something funny. I'm not going to take any of the bait. I'm Leela. So if you try to score, I'm going to rip things apart off your board. Yeah. So get fucked. And indeed, I got fucked. It was bad. It was a blowout. I don't think I scored a single agenda. And you're not supposed to. Rip. You're supposed to score like seven in a turn on that fucking. Dude, that's hard to do against Leela. We get to game two. He's playing RP and I'm playing something that I'm like pretty good on. It's just like prepaid Kate or something. Okay. Yeah. I know this matchup. Mm-hmm. And we actually have a pretty intense game going back and forth. I think I actually kind of shocked him on like my knowledge of that matchup. Um, <laughs> After the first game, he's like, this guy's
1: supposed to be bad. What the fuck is happening right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. but it comes down to a single turn where Dave's either going to score out the remote and I know I can't get in there. He's got a Nisei with a counter in his scoring mm-hmm. area. I have to do something on my first two clicks, but I know that there's a future perfect in archives. Run archives. So like I'm trying yeah. to shortcut it and go, we're just going to agree that you're going to use the Nisei and then my last click, I'm going to run there and it's going to be a side game for the game. And he goes, no, I'm just going to let you access on click three. Um, well, yeah, because he's going to save the counter because he's like, you know, I'll just end the run on click four if you don't make it, yeah. then the turn will be over. Like, I won't have the chance to run somewhere else.
1: No, it's fine. You can have this TFP access. I don't give a shit. Yeah. I'm going to win the side game.
0: Exactly. So I go in. And he sets his bid kind of immediately and puts his hand on the table. And I'm like, I hmm, zero. I kind of I kind of my teammate on his cell phone goes, no, bid this and holds it up in front of my face. It's like shakes it at me. He's like, read this. <laughs> no bid this. And it was actually one. He wanted oh. me to bid one. So I bid one and I win the game. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The crowd goes wild. I fucking beat Dave Hoyland, you know, like. I wasn't, I was going to bid zero. Cause uh, same as you, I'm like, I'm thinking yeah. like, no, he's not going to spend the, the, the like,
1: disrespect. This is, this is sheer and yeah. utter disrespect. He's going to bid zero.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the <laughs> disrespect. You got to go for the disrespect, but no, my buddy sensed ones. And so I bid one and I was like, got it. Got him. the whole point of all that. Dave saw me next year at King of servers and our teams got matched up and he oh, was boy. the highest ranked and I was the lowest ranked of the team. <laughs> but he looks at me and goes, he goes, no, we're playing. <laughs> sit down <laughs> you have a grudge match with fucking dave oylent i had a fucking grudge match with dave oylent what's even funnier what's even called funnier out is by dave that's even better that's so good what's even funnier is we split again he's on ig and i'm on val Mm-hmm. I'm on this bullshit vowel list with like siphons and blackmails Oof. and fucking mediums. So good. Like, it's like, yeah, you're not going to get to res anything. I'm just going to deep dig you like the whole fucking game. That game ended in like five minutes. And I just damn, I'm good in blackmail once. I rip it all off the top of R&D and I go, oh, that's rough, buddy. <laughs> the match flips around, though. I think I'm hot on my corp deck. He puts wizard across for me. My opening draw contains my astro script, a piece of ice some econ that's how i open it's like i put the astro script in a row i put the piece of ice over it i leave hq naked and i play this piece of econ mm-hmm. dave looked at his hand he looked at me looked at his hand again and he's like do you mm-hmm. know who the fuck i am siphon i'm like oh no siphon <laughs> oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> all right i'm gonna go check that remote then oh it's your astro script shocker <laughs> I think
1: one of the biggest flexes that we had on the entire day was Andre's playmat. So Andre had the Matt Z portrait of himself. Andre's got this playmat of Andre, Netrunner Universe Andre. That by itself would already be a pretty big flex, right? Like, oh, mad of yourself. Sure. Cool. I'm against one of those people. Except Andre then turns it around. So it is facing the opponent.
0: Oh, my God. The (laughs) absolute
1: chutzpah. Honestly, we had solid mat tech across the board, our our entire team. We also had cranked on the Culver's logo, except instead of Culver's, it says cranked.
0: And then it says unbanned museum, you cowards. Your boy made that. Greg is still using it. The man loves Culver's. He would never not use that mat. But you had good mat tech too, right? So actually, the story
1: behind this is it's well known that I tend to have trail runner mats like the the ass of God. mat is probably what I'm best known for in terms of my actual on the table play. It certainly isn't the play itself. And I was planning on doing the George Bush triptych, which almost certainly violates No signals code of conduct. So we would have crossed that bridge when we come to it. But Nate Gaming was like, we refuse to print this on grounds of copyright. That means like all of my replacements are going to run into the same problem. So what I did was I relied on an old image that I had that I made for a drill runner years ago. Certainly not copyrighted. It is uh, Raphael's The School of Athens, one of the most famous Renaissance paintings with most of the faces replaced by Drill's avatar. The Drill of Athens, as I call it.
0: Name is just it's almost as good as the play, man. (laughs) It's a really good playmat. I'm using this one for a while now. I got to give props. I think you have some of the best meme playmat game in the game. With the exception of, I still think Elbow Dropping Jesus may want to be one of the greatest playmats of all time. Yeah, that
1: is easily one of the best Netrunner playmats ever made.
0: Um, Honorable mention to Padlock Clown Up, the the three emoji (laughs) playmat. Clown Up. Good shit, good shit. (sighs) So... Actually, that's probably a good segue to talking about general Netrunner swag, no?
1: Yeah, should we... Shit, we're supposed to be doing segments. What segment do we want to talk about general Netrunner swag? Either Daily Quest or An Offer You Can't Refuse. I would say probably Daily Quest, because that one, like, actually is
0: Netrunner swag for Sokka. We could go with a portmanteau: A Daily Offer You Can't Refuse. No, that's terrible.
1: Yeah, no, that's real bad. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> like I, I took a second to think it over. I was like, "Can we do an even worse portmanteau? A daily quaffer you can't ref-? no. That's <laughs> that's so bad. We're gonna just we're we're just gonna get banned from the internet if
0: we okay. A daily quaffer you can't refuse. We should probably say for the beer episode, the next beer episode.
1: <gasps> daily quest. I saw so much fucking good Runner swag on the weekend. The number of people who had unique. Poker chip sets. I saw people who had like I've got ones, I've got twos, I've got threes, I've got fives, I've got tens, like all different colors of Netrunner poker chip. Actually, the the same round we were against the team from Montreal that was like the ones, fives, tens, and then also unique poker chips for virus counters, for power counters, agenda tokens. It was sick. Excellent Netrunner swag there, and that's that's just the fucking poker chips. That's not even talking about. There was one opponent I played against who exclusively their entire kit was the magnum opus tokens the oh, the ones wow. the threes and then the gold it was wow. so difficult to see because everything was shining because of the light like I, there
0: was so much glare that's the one bad thing about those mirror tokens overhead fluorescent lights then mm-hmm. bastards will hurt your fucking eyes they yes, look they awesome but they are a bastard with overhead lights I was on Ika in my deck, so I picked up one of
1: Dan B's squid token that is large enough to cover up the entire text box. Shoutouts to Bushi. I love those big tokens. He's done that for a couple of different things. There's Uh, also Boomerang. There's also uh, Botulus, I think. It actually is really nice from a gameplay perspective because Mm -hmm. I don't fuck up my MU.
0: Yeah, it helps you keep all your programs in a row so you can track your M.U. And not only do I love having the token there, but I love that they're massive, kind of a huge flex oh, to yeah, reach over yeah. and put this huge token on your opponent's card. Don't mind me, the
1: text box... Doesn't matter. And I'm blanking this one. I did play against a newer player and that they had to like move the squid token aside so they could make sure they knew what their ice did. That was the one time I felt a little bad. Oh, you played against Quactipus's team, didn't you? Who I then saw sweep Sokka on stream the next day. Yep. Uh, I was not <laughs> exactly. matched up against Quactipus, thankfully. Ninth best <laughs> Netrunner player in the world? Something like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, the The other two teammates, believe it or not, had only been playing Netrunner for like three weeks. Yeah. I did get a sweep that round,
1: but it came down to like we were both on sports. It did go to time. I had to win on the final turn after time was called. Oh, wow. There was a sick damn I'm good play. It's not really a damn I'm good. It was just like a very climactic access. This was by Andre. Andre fucking carried our team on the entire day. Like I think Andre had like seven wins. I was like exact 50-50 cranked. Um, We were 500 as a team. So you can, you can figure out Crank's record yourself. But it was against Shoeflower. Like obviously Shoeflower, extremely good netrunner player. Third at Worlds a few years ago, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. was like very set up. This was like a PD against Apocalypse 419 matchup where Apocalypse had not had a chance to go off the entire game and things were mm-hmm. extremely set up it was the last turn clearly because there was an installed card in the remote something that both players knew was an anedic void a res managarm an unresed extra mana garm to play around pinhole threading and then there's also a resed anedic void on hq disgusting ice across the board and there's an x activation uh-huh. command active this is not the best place to be as the runner. So Andre's sitting there in the tank. The line he comes up with is, I don't have an inside job in my hand. There are like 15 cards left in my deck. I need an inside job. Quick one, I have to draw the inside job. If I draw the inside job, I can run the remote and force the Anawetic Void res. If I do that, there are four cards in HQ, but the Anawetic Void on HQ gets trashed, so I can run HQ. There's a Vitruvius counter, so it becomes a one in five, and I can one in five it. Click one, draw. <laughs> Inside job.
0: Oh, heart of the cards!
1: <laughs> it goes on past that, right? Because like then you also have to actually heart of cards it out of HQ. And so Shoeflower lays down the five cards. Andre's like, all right, this one's one. This one's five. Rolls a die. Six. Picks it up. Rolls a die. Six. At this point, we are the last match still going in the entire crown of servers tournament. So, like, there's a crowd gathered. They're watching Andre roll this die and miss six. Andre rolls. It's like a three flips over three. It's the food.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> it was fucking epic. So we're we getting I'm... away from Netrunner swag. We talked about this a little bit in the Sokka episode, but I think the best Netrunner swag display that I saw the entire time was Sokka wearing the championship
0: belt oh, wherever yeah. he went. I really fucking love the belts. I think they are the perfect sort of meme prize for mm-hmm. crowd of servers. And I want to keep doing them. The amount of altarts
1: that I saw on the weekend, too. I mean, we had an entire table where like artists were selling their alt arts. I spent so much money on alt arts at Worlds. Oh, yeah. I'm getting much closer to my ability to actually build shiny tribal in standard where like you have exclusively alt arts in your deck.
0: I don't know how to feel about that, but I really love the community aspect of like the alt arts. But yeah, there is something to be said about like entire decks made of them. It feels much better to me like if you're going to use a community alt that you only like pepper them in your deck as spice i mean my my opinion on this and it will probably not surprise you is
1: you should flex as much as possible at all times (laughs) i i I mean like you know disrespect banknote being on stream with like yeah literally only null signal people have these full art skunk skunkworks motherfucker i'm gonna res it now putting these words in banknote's mouth like banknote did not say that but (laughs) the message was clear
0: So they're surprised. I literally did not take these for myself, but I have forgotten to hand them out. And I want to hand them out at an OTG because that's where I got them. But OTG 21, the president of Netrunner himself, Austin, walks up to me and says, Here's three foil inside jobs, full art. Nobody has these. Do with them what you will. Holy- Can I make a suggestion? Is What's there it? a
1: way to print foil stickers? Oh, fuck
0: off. <laughs> I know where you're going with this.
1: I'm just saying you could make them even more unique by making them the only double foiled drill side jobs in the entire world. But it's not the original art. It's, oh, it's, it's not the, the, the toilet. Art? With... Oh, never. Uh, what's yeah. the fucking point then?
0: It's It's a um, good art, but it doesn't work for drill nearly as well. And I want to hand them out like with something special. Like yeah. I don't want to just be like, "Oh, like you you're the first and like uh you get these inside jobs." Like that feels like dumb to me. So I haven't I've never figured out like a good way to like give them away. But I still have them. And I built a criminal deck for gunslinging at worlds. Ooh. So I was like, "Oh, well I got to put these in." I mean, yeah. People are going to be like, "Well, where the fuck did you get those?" I I actually have a question on swag. Yeah. What did you think of the commemorative coin?
1: I don't know how I'm going to use it. It's a cool coin. There's some real heft to it, which I like.
0: It was supposed to act as a mark token. Okay. Because it says I made my mark. Just gathering thoughts here, gathering ideas. Yeah, In terms of uh, gathering ideas, that might actually be a good
1: transition to our next segment, which to merge a few memes here, I'm calling, quick, call a Nostra dumbass, but not for me. You're
0: shaking your head. I can tell that you get it. Yeah, yeah. So what, should we do the we must be fucking Nostradamus music then? I guess, yeah. We must be fucking Nostradamus.
1: Normally in our predictions, we call ourselves Nostradamus because we know they're going to be wrong. But we kind of fucked up and got them mostly correct this time. Oh shit, cut the feed. Ben actually pointed this out on the weekend. They said, between the people that each of the three of us called, the decks that the three of us called, and the guest we had on that episode, of those, everything made top 16 except my pick of Asa. Toby made top 16, Sokka won, Ben made top 16. I guess PD's kind of, like, PD did make top 16. PD kind of won. It's a sports ID, but it's a very PD-ish deck. Freedom did real fucking good, too. Boat Chico also made the top 16 as well. So, like, like we had we had some real fucking good takes on that episode, which is not something I expected to have to
0: say. You uh forgot the most important one, is which is um I called my shot on Saka and that motherfucker woman. Yeah. I think Ben did too. I think Ben was about to, but audibled off, had alternatively called Sam R S, who I believe got third. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah.
1: audible off onto someone. And and I I had what I thought was a more pocket like corner pick of TF34. And sure enough, Toby wins a tiebreak round top 16.
0: Wasn't Toby <laughs> also on like CTM? Didn't you call CTM to go into the cut? No, no. Toby
1: Toby was on PD.
0: Okay, but there was a... There was a
1: CTM in the tiebreak rounds. Uh, or it wasn't a CTM. It was ctm out
0: of r plus that was credits at hotmail no there was a ctm in the cut dr awkward oh damn i shit what? we called too many shots think of this pants like you said like <laughs> no i'm talking like ctm doesn't win but it gets something like eighth and Fuck. you're only like a couple of spots <laughs> off <dude. laughs> shit they need to
1: extract our brains and use them for science that's how fucking good we are <laughs> This begs the
0: question then, though, like if we're getting very good at like calling our shots, why are we still terrible at Netrunner? Oh, skill issue. 100%. I I don't do commentary as much as you, obviously. But one of the things I notice with commentary is that when I have a bird's eye view of the game, I can call the next move that a runner is about to make a lot more clearly than it feels like I can visualize that move at the table. Is that a thing you notice? Oh, 100%.
1: Your brain isn't consumed with like what you have to do next. There's an okay. entire part of your brain that is just focused on figuring out what they're going to do, the reasons for the place they're making. It's the sort of thinking you're supposed to do when you play the game, but that mm-hmm. it's harder for me to do that in the actual game because there are so many other things I have to focus on. I mm-hmm. think that's why many high-level players are also good commentators as long as they have a reasonable grasp of talking on mic because it's how they navigate the game. I have a harder time accessing that during the actual game.
0: Interesting. Weird phenomenon. to me because like... I feel that my commentary has gotten better over the years. And I I actually feel that that's helped my play a little bit. I I feel part of it is also, I rarely
1: commentate in a vacuum. There's usually at least one other person on the cast with me. So a lot of times, it's not just my thinking that goes into what I think someone's Mm going to do next. It's me talking with Andre. And like, Andre's a good player. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, Andre has really good reads in situations where I'm like, yeah, you know, actually, I think that's right. If we take that as ground truth, then here's the next step.
0: Okay, okay.
1: We're going to have to figure out a different segment to use for that in the future, because until we have some big misses, I don't think we can call ourselves Nostradamus anymore, which is sad. That's us losing something as a cast, really.
0: Oh, okay, we could say, roll with me on this pants, we could say that we're only okay at being okay at Netrunner. <laughs> <laughs> or the okayist
1: est <laughs> podcast. The level of okay at Netrunner has vaulted from normal to meta. This is a pretty big rapid shift that I've written in the notes here. I want to talk about how fucking long worlds takes. What segment should we use for this? How about why would you do that? Sure. Why would you do that? This week on why would you do that? Why the fuck would worlds take so long to be? Okay, again, do you want to start with planning or do you want to start with the event? I think that the planning side of things is probably something that people don't have a very good view of. What actually goes into planning an event like
0: Worlds. Well, I'm glad you asked. It has to start early. With an event of this size, you need a venue of a certain size. Mm -hmm. And especially what time of year we hold it in October is prime convention and symposium time for corporations. Mm -hmm. Like they love to do fucking end of year, like wrap up manager meeting, fucking conference shit. So if we're going to still hold it in October, we need to plan venues like a year out. Which doesn't necessarily mean booking a venue, but it does mean okay. Here are our options. Here's what's going to cost X amount per day. What's the earliest we can book the weekend and sign a contract and get mm-hmm. your money? We really have to put a lot out there quickly, about a year before the event even even takes shape. That's just really because of the logistics of booking a venue. What we tend to do, or at least what I I did for 22, is we then kind of slowly over the course of that year start to put together ideas of the theme could be what we're going to need. We start to list that stuff. Due to some logistical stuff in 22, there was a lot of stuff we didn't get to uh, until the summer, which was why we had the prizing article a lot later than I wanted. We had about Mm -hmm. a month and a half out. We started spoiling prizes. But ideally, you would start spoiling prizes three months out, four months out, and really give the community time to digest what they could win here and, and get hype about it. Right after the release of the set, actually, would be perfect to me. We missed that mark by a little bit. It was just because we had to commission other stuff. We were thinking about other things, things of that nature. Basically, what you have to figure out once you have the venue is what you're going to need. Turns out there's actually a lot more stuff than you would think, mm-hmm. because you got to think about <laughs> not only like chairs and tables, right, and your stream camera, yeah, and your uh, stream dungeon, which we'll uh, we'll get into <coughs> later. But you have to think about things like printers and match slips and computers signage so people know where the fucking venue is signage uniforms all that and it's not like any of it's like particularly hard it's just that you have to have a group of people that helps you kind of generate and think of all of the things that you might want or need i think that our team did a really good job of that there were even then still some things that we missed but then you also have to figure out how all that shit's going to get there.
1: I was driving up with Dan B and Dan took the minivan and it was 100% full. Like I I, I was sitting in the back seat on the way there were like boxes like pressed directly against me. If we huh? crash I'm going to get crushed by net runner gear. Yes.
0: <laughs> Not a bad way to go.
1: Not a good way either though.
0: Very much okay. I don't want to get into, like, the boring logistical stuff too much, but... There's a fucking lot of shit. Yeah, yeah, ha- and you have to figure out how to get it all there and then get it all gone. That takes time, and you have to do it way further in advance than you would think. As to why the events themselves take so long? Because there's a lot of fucking people. I mean, still, though, it, it, was, it was the sort of thing that main event starts at
1: 10.30. There are seven rounds. Surely I will be out in time to get dinner at, like, 8. I was in the commentary booth until 11.00. That's kind of what I mean by how fucking long Worlds takes. It takes a very, 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 very long time.
0: Yep. I also was there until like 1130 and I got into the venue hall at like 630 that morning. So there's a couple of things that cause that. And I think it's things that we can mitigate years after this. One of the things is not starting early enough. 1030 Mm -hmm. actually for a tournament like this is probably too late. It's pretty late. Yeah. What you can do is you can move that forward one, maybe two hours. I don't know many people that are happy to start at 8.30. But it's it's not run of World, you will. I was up 6.30 every day. I think that that could be done. But also one of the things that I think extended it that I know you were not happy about was we get done with round seven. And then somebody comes and tells you, oh, hey, we have one more round. We have a tiebreaker round.
1: Okay, I'm going to be very open about my opinions here. I hate the tiebreaker rounds. I hate them historically the entire time that timebreaker rounds have been going exactly two upsets have occurred ever tiebreaker round is basically cut by strength of schedule with like an extra few hoops i think my main issue with tiebreaker rounds personally and like again this is a personal opinion i'm not an op i like i don't influence these policies in any way this is just me Mm -hmm. saying like myself what i think it's basically still cutting by strength of schedule there are usually still more people on 30 than you are able to actually jam into the tiebreaker round. So effectively, you're still cutting on strength of schedule to get there. It's just you're cutting on strength of schedule in a more oblique way and adding an extra round, which is extra logistics, extra time on the commentators. Obviously, I'm a little selfish saying that last one, but like extra effort for what seems to be
0: very, very little payoff in any way. Two things. Number one, I believe it's been more than twice because we have been using them since 2020. If I remember correctly, there was an entire year where no tiebreaker rounds ended in upsets. I know at least in 2021, there was an upset with Swan who was on 16 and got flopped with 17. I think there was at least one at Continental's this year. There was one at Worlds. We're talking still, you can count them on one We're splitting hairs. Overall, you're right. It doesn't meaningfully change what the cut would have been based on strength of schedule. Now, You also could say that that proves the rule of strength of schedule and that all we're doing with the tiebreaker Browns is verifying strength of schedule and whether or not you need to verify strength of schedule is kind of up for debate. So that's that's that number one is is just kind of pointing those things out. But number two, I agree with you fucking entirely. (laughs) They are not worth what they do, even if verifying strength of schedule is something you find important. I do not like them either after having experienced worlds especially in the extra 45 wasn't even 45 minutes because we had to set up the round and we had to do shit after yeah
1: the the gap after round 7 to actually get the tiebreaker rounds and double check them and all that I mean that that was a solid 20-25 minutes before we even started the round Cobra doesn't do these
0: automatically that shit for me again was like 75 minutes so selfishly (laughs) I don't want to have to do that shit again but also as far as having opinions about whether or not we should or shouldn't do them there's gonna be and i'm gonna shamelessly plug this for op there's gonna be a survey on not only worlds but the season policies for op as a whole if you fucking hate tiebreakers or you love tiebreakers i need you to fill out that survey that doesn't mean just you pants that means everybody everybody listening no you just know? me i want only my opinions represented in this survey <laughs> even if you don't listen to Sumscast, or you know your friends don't listen to Sumscast, help them find that survey have them fill it out because if the community overwhelmingly wants tiebreakers Okay, fine, we'll, we'll we'll do them. That was a fucking 14-hour day, and tiebreakers alone could eat my dick, but there are some other things we can improve, too.
1: Yeah, I have a bullet point in the notes here. It is three words, the misery burrito. And what that represents, I fucked up during the lunch break. During the lunch break, I, like, started talking to someone, looked up at the clock, realized, like, oh, shit, the lunch break is over in 30 minutes now. I don't really have time to go anywhere based on the current time that we're at, based on how long this takes. I was not factoring a tiebreak round. I was like, we'll probably be done around nine. I can get through it until nine. Things ran slower than I expected. Plus the tiebreak round. It is 11 p.m. after we finally do the sign off on the stream. And I am like, okay, great. I can finally eat for the first time since breakfast. I have such low energy that I basically can't talk to anyone. I'm just going to find a group of people that are walking in a direction and mention food. I'm going to walk with them. So I walked with the snare bears to a burrito place, got a burrito, like became a human again. That was like one of the lowest points in my Netrunner career was like going to get this burrito. Not because of the people (laughs) I was with, lovely people, but just because of how fucking dead I was.
0: (laughs) Bro, I feel you. We were the last ones to leave the fucking hall after mm-hmm. we get wrapped up. Morgan happened to still be there. That's myself. Jamie. Fike. we're also dead. Like, just fucking mm-hmm. cast and like fucking done. That's why we were salty in the morning on Sunday, by the way. And anybody that we uh, went off on, we're sorry. But like, we fucking died inside on Saturday <laughs> and then had to resurrect ourselves for Sunday. My bullet point that I put in the show notes, which is sad, cold pizza, pizza, the OP crew plus Morgan fucking rolls out of the event hall and we turn towards there's this lounge area. The whole Metropole grid crew is there and they all fucking give us a standing ovation. It's incredibly gratifying. And then they motion us over because they like know we're fucking hungry. Oh, hey, we got pizza. We got pizza. That pizza was from a pizza place called Pizza Pizza. Uh-huh. That stays open 24 hours up in Canada. Okay. Andre explicitly on his stream told everybody coming to Toronto do not get pizza, pizza.
1: <laughs> do not pizza. get pizza,
0: pizza. Awful. But it's open 24 hours. Where the fuck else are you going to go? <laughs> now, little did we know they had ordered this like 45 minutes ago. Oof. I get a pizza box shoved toward my face. I don't even look at what's what's on it. I just grab like a slice and a half and I start going to town on it. I'm like, oh, fuck me. It's like it's like onions, spinach and like tomatoes and shit. I mean, I appreciate that they gave me pizza. There's yeah.
1: only so much you can complain here. Like you were in a very bad place and they gave you physical sustenance.
0: Yes, correct. But also it was bad. <laughs>
1: This would have been acknowledged by that crew as well. Like, you know, one of them was like, don't get this.
0: Normally, I am a pepperoni man. Mm-hmm. I'll mow down some veggies. Like, I'm not a, I'm mm-hmm. not an anti-veggie guy. When it comes to my pizza, like, I'm a carnivore. The thing that hurts so much is the other pizza box going around. It's double pepperoni.
1: Oh. <laughs> Ripperoonies, man. Is this a good segue to talk about the stream dungeon? Um... Yes. I somewhat affectionately call it the stream dungeon because it was a bit like a dungeon. It was a tent. Did you realize how many windows were in this tent when you purchased it? Yes, I actually
0: purchased it with the intention of there not being windows. Why the fuck would you do that? People have to be in the tent, Josh. I thought it would block more sound than it did. Oh so I thought God. it would be a fair trade-off. And I <laughs> forgot that if you were gonna like block sound and light that you needed an alternate source of light. Yes. It's just just like clearly me being a dumbass. Like this is all this is. <laughs>
1: yeah. So so we're in this tent. There is exactly one window in the back of the tent that we get a little bit of light through. What made it even more dungeon-like was it didn't block that much sound. We couldn't have the mics on the table. We had to have the gain way too high if they were up on the table, and then it just picked up all the crowd noise. So, like, you know, I I was sitting there on the table, like one elbow on the table, holding the mic up to my mouth the entire weekend.
0: Even after we got the fucking, like, little stands?
1: The little stands we couldn't use. Oh, fuck. My biceps were were feeling strong after that weekend.
0: (laughs) Which is fucking like, they're they're like the shitty version of a mic stand for a Twitch streamer. Them bastards were fucking like 95 Canadian. Oh yeah, yeah. People
1: like to shit on people who have quote unquote bad audio. I actually have a problem with that a lot of the time because a lot of the times when you're shitting on bad audio, you're shitting on someone who couldn't shell out $1,000 for a good audio set. I understand it isn't up to your standards or whatever, but your standards are based off of someone who is not using entry level products. (laughs) that's a personal pet peeve of mine. Just given the podcasting thing that we do, like hundred percent it's, it's kind of shitty to shit on someone for audio quality, but like, just to explain what we were dealing with, it was like, yeah, there was a lot of background noise. We had to hold these mics like very close to our mouths. I think we did a decent job through the whole weekend, but like, you know, it's, Uh it's tough to have both of us at the exact same levels when you're physically holding the mic. Like it's tough to keep it the same distance from your mouth at all the time. And thankfully all of this aside, holy fuck. The games were fun to commentate. We had such fucking sick games all weekend. I think the thing that really stood out the most to me, Andre and I have commentated a lot of events now together. Like we've commentated two worlds together. We've commentated multiple... Continentals together, but it still happens over the internet. So you still run over people's audio. You still are speaking at a time where they're not actually done with their sentence, but it seemed like they might be. All that kind of stuff, and it just kind of flowed in person. Like we didn't have any of that shit when you're actually there and you're actually able to see the person. You're actually able to see their body language. It's just so much easier. It was so fucking fun.
0: I I really appreciate that we have like online tournaments. And I think especially early on in the pandemic, that saved us as a community. Like Worlds 2020 to me was was very special. And I appreciated being part of that. It's still a very special worlds memory, but uh coming back and and having that. Oh man, like and then having commentary on it, like it was just something else. Like like we were missing something all these years. It is just like that energy, that energy that you get when you get to see people and you get to see these games playing out like that uh, with the motions and people's hands and soccer wearing a belt and uh <laughs> 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 you know, play mats. Um, yeah. I mean, or just like people's credits and stuff, and like how you express yourself in the game. Like, there's just something so magical about that. Rolling back on another topic that you hit on too, I know I've been critical of the SBT, and I still fucking think we should ban boat. But talking about these games and the commentary you did on them, and talking about the games themselves, holy shit, what they did for this world's mm-hmm. and this meta to to lead up to it worked. It absolutely and it was good. Did. And even the ones that I was iffy on, like the whole uh, Archive Memories, I can see how these R-plus decks that made it into the cut would have been more dominant without those bands. They would have been too good, yeah. A lot of the top players were commentating on that too. They were saying basically like the way that it worked out for this event, these games came down tight, meaningful on every credit. You had to mm-hmm. make good decisions. Boat, despite being in all these decks, wasn't as dominant as a lot of people thought yeah. it would be because a lot of these decks teched for it and we're like half the time your boat will just be a rock i think my personal view is i'd be interested in us
1: moving to a meta where boat is like no longer the defining card on mm-hmm. both sides personally i would love to see archive memories come back it's just such a good card such a it does such good things to the game but this was a sick meta for worlds we got Incredible Mm -hmm. games happening where every decision was meaningful. I mean, I saw a scoring pattern I'd never seen. Round fucking one, the corp was way ahead. And then the runner dropped Amina and Panweave and essentially siphoned the corp into the ground every single turn because there was just a magnet on HQ. And it was like, well, corpse dead now. (laughs) And then over the course of several turns, Extract threw Bologna in the remote. 419 was like poor enough that they couldn't go get this Bologna. So Extract would credit advance credit what the fuck <laughs> and it worked <laughs> oh my god three or four turns to score this bologna because it was like okay i'm starting off the turn at zero credits
0: i thought what was really interesting too was uh there was some deck building decisions that we haven't quite seen before either hb being on like one four two and one two one two one yeah
1: yeah, in the yeah, world winning list.
0: You have this weird agenda suite that has like a lot of one offs that yeah. you wouldn't expect. And we, we saw QPMs. We saw QPMs out of worked. R plus
1: uh, in credits game. And I mean, PE mm-hmm. was probably an access or two away from
0: winning worlds potentially. The deck diversity in the cut is actually pretty wild. It's mostly HB, but like there's a good showing of NBN. There mm-hmm, is like mm-hmm. only one Waylon, but that Waylon plays. Fifth people special.
1: As they said themselves, always putting meat damage cards in those Whalen decks. <laughs>
0: Sure. We have the entire gamut of corp factions, at least one of each in the cut. So that that was pretty yeah. fucking wild. All three runner factions, right? Like Shaper one, Krim was mm-hmm.
1: third, and there was a fair amount of anarch. There were even a number of runner decks that were not on boat because there was a smoke in the cut. There was like a 419 not on boat in the cut. There was a dow If I remember correctly, the story there was basically took the startup deck that had been doing well in startup, like standardified it, played it in Crown of Servers, crushed at Crown of Servers and was like. Maybe this deck's good. And sure enough, I was Um, this close from like stealing one of the lamps from my room and bringing it down to the to the stream dungeon. My issue was they're going to see me in the lobby and be like, why do you have that? Did y'all get a lamp in there eventually? That was a desk lamp. It was like not a large one. Oh, okay. It, It provided a modicum of light. Do you have any other commentary on the stream dungeon? No, no, I think I'm done on the stream dungeon. All right, let's move on to Who Dat Spicy. Well, no, that, that we actually I mean, Scry one that. Uh, it kind of it kind of fits, though, like it kind of fits because the situation as I see it, obviously, I was commentating on a number of games that Scry was playing over the weekend mm-hmm. because Scry did very well placed second at Worlds was on a number of games that were on stream scry made extremely reasonable moves as someone who is at a high level netrunner like the highest level possible netrunner tournament playing at the very top tables which is like yeah you missed a res window you don't get to res something opponent is taking a while to make decisions ask your opponent to play quickly your opponent needs to not play slowly to not go to time and you need to not play slowly to, to not go to time some of the body language came across on stream but we don't have sound on the tables people weren't hearing things like you know confirmation that the run was Successful before the res was attempted. People reacted really, in my opinion, shittily to Scry doing this. I understand the idea that Netrunner is a game where things like takebacks happen more frequently. And especially when we're in online tournaments, they can happen at top tables in situations not unlike this there is a clear difference in my opinion when you're on jnet manual dexterity of like oh i clicked hq when i meant It it is extraordinarily easy to make that mistake yeah it's really know. difficult to do that in person if netrunner is going to be a game that tests the skills of netrunner rather than the skills of clicking the mouse you have to allow a certain level of takebacks if you're doing an online tournament That is not the case in person. Part of the game of Netrunner is knowing when your fucking res
0: window is. I tend to agree with a couple of exceptions, and I have Mm -hmm. a take on the whole situation. I don't want to pass judgment on either player. I'm not
1: trying to pass judgment on either player either. If you miss a play, that doesn't make you a bad player. It means that you missed Mm -hmm. a play like we saw on stream, Mm -hmm. missed triggers all weekend. Top level players are not used to playing in person and misplays. That is just part of the game.
0: I have like a very nuanced take on how I, I view tournaments. First off, let's talk about takebacks. One of the things that I have done, I don't know how many people have done this themselves, is I've confused one card for another. Mm. And either card, playing either card was a legal play. And I sometimes, depending on my mental state, I'm tired or it's been a long day of regionals or whatever. I'll play something on the table. I'll look at it for 10 seconds, thinking about why is this wrong? This feels wrong. This is wrong. I don't know why this is wrong. Oh, I actually meant to play the Seamless. In a case like that, where the game hasn't meaningfully moved on, it doesn't really impact the game to kind of reverse it and play another card. I've asked for takebacks in those scenarios, gotten them or not gotten them. I think it's reasonable to ask. And I personally would hope that most people would allow something like that, even at top cuts, because I've seen top cut takebacks. Like, I want to make that clear that I've seen top cut takebacks. We all have. But conversely, one of the things that I will say as well is that if you're going to be strict at any tournament, if you're going to hold your opponent to another standard or judges are going to hold somebody to a standard, Worlds is the one and the top cut is the one. And it it is literally the highest level net runner that it is possible to play. Correct. Whereas I do like that aspect of sportsmanship where somebody looks at a game as a whole and says, I don't want to win based on like a tape back or not tape back or, or something like that. Holding your opponent to a standard of play is also a valid thing. It depends on what you define as the best games of Netrunner. You know what I mean? Sorry, I have to take issue with what you just said. I don't see that
1: as a matter of sportsmanship. I think it is 100% sporting to hold your opponent to the rules of the game. Part of the skill of playing Netrunner is being able to manage your mental state over a long tournament. Part of the skill of playing Netrunner is remembering how your cards work and how timing windows mm-hmm. work. All of this is part of the game. You're just asking your opponent to play the game. And yeah. I don't think it's in any way less sporting to say, no, you have to do your reses in the correct window. mm mm-hmm. I like the take backs in some ways. I think they're good natured. It shows kind of the good natured aspect of the community. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I have heard some players phrase the way that they do takebacks in a way that actually comes off as somewhat condescending to me, where it's like, I don't want to beat okay. you because I didn't allow a take back. I want to beat you because I'm just better than you. And I'm going to prove <laughs> it by giving you a take back. Like, go fuck yourself,
0: man. <laughs> okay. Well, that does sound condescending, and I've actually phrased it that way before. The intent, at least when it comes from me, is like, I want to win because I have the best strategy, not because you messed up something in the timing chart. I don't think it's unsporting. Sorry if I phrased that way. I don't think it's unsporting to hold your opponent to a certain standard of play, especially at the world championship, because that is part of the sport. Right, And and, mm-hmm. and that can be a, a thing that we're testing for skill and, and, and whatnot. And I don't think there should be any stigma there if that is the type of player that you are. That's awesome. You do you. But the other thing I will say is, is it's not less sporting to be the type of player that is doing the opposite the type of player that says, I want us to bring both of our best strategies. I think it comes down to how you want to play the game and how you want to represent like the board state of the game. It is perfectly valid to be hard one way where I want the most perfect game possible that we can play. That is not a thing that somebody should be shat on for or called a shithead yeah. for. Like that's, and, that's, and
1: that's exactly what's at issue here is like, I, I think I forgot yeah. to give exactly. I've seen people call Scry a bad person for no. not allowing a res of Hoka Like, fuck
0: off. You don't know shit about Matt's moral character. You watched him play a children's card game. And here's the other thing, too, is like, I've said this about Eric before. Eric has done some things that we don't agree with as a community. Overall, though the dude has done a lot of a lot of stuff for the community right we're talking charity events we're talking trivia we're talking like Mm -hmm. he's run shit he's donated things to tos like there can be moments in games too where you don't quite act how you want to act or you don't act to a standard and sometimes an impossible standard of a of a group or community but that doesn't also define who you are like yeah again go back to the aristotle thing like you are what you most often do right and i think it's utterly
1: ridiculous to imply that someone that you watched a couple games of them playing a card game mm-hmm. for you to make moral judgments about them or say like oh they are everything yeah. in competitive card games that i hate fuck off i'm sorry but that's a very bad take
0: i, I, don't know, I we, think we, it's we a bad take
1: too if you saw scry stab someone on camera like yeah of course that's yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't know if i were in that position if i had like played the best netrunner tournament of my career and gotten second at worlds and people were calling me a shitty person in public places in the community. I don't know if I'd agree to be streamed in the future.
0: Like, I'd be like, no, sorry. Sure. Like y'all, y'all can miss me. I want there to be space for there to be different philosophies. When I'm playing, I'm probably still gonna allow rollback. Nobody is under any obligation to do that. And actually, if you're going by floor rules, that probably actually isn't what you should do Mm. and what you should do is you should call a judge and a judge probably would have ruled like no you can't i'm not saying that it's wrong i'm just saying that i i would do it differently i think taking that step from
1: i would do it differently to and therefore scry is a bad person like that is what i have the issue with here like oh for sure the, the, the the community reaction is what i'm having an issue with not any aspect of the
0: play here This was actually brought up in Slack today. Like, we were talking on UK, like a different standard for like Swiss versus cut standard world championship. The cut's going to be the shark pool and then like a lot of people play in standard not even expecting to win and we all play for different reasons. I also personally believe that judges should have a most objective standard and they should run the entire tournament under that. So I don't really agree in changing our judging style across the course of an event. But also like I really believe players should have sort of the mandate amongst themselves to figure out what it means to play the game against each other. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: And I think part of that mandate always has to be if you become uncomfortable with that contract between
0: your, you and your opponent, you call a judge. Even if you're borderline, you call a judge. And if you both want the most perfect standard of play, you call a judge. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's room for stuff that goes the other way. Yeah. My only issue, I think you and I are actually 100% in agreement on this. My only issue is when we have varying opinions on what the standard of play is, the stricter standard shouldn't be looked at as like an asshole. Yeah. Unless- 100%. Very specifically, unless very specifically, we can prove that this person's like an angle shooter.
1: There is a qualitative difference between strict play and angle shooting. People who angle shoot to try to win games that they shouldn't win. Like that is something that I find judging someone's moral character on. Playing strictly because you are playing within the rules of the game. Like that is that's very, very different. That's kind of all I wanted to say about the situation is I think that the response has been a little bit ridiculous. People are reading very heavily into something that is not there and I just wanted to address that.
0: That goes into another like social standard social norm thing. I know that there are certain expectations that certain people have when there is a norm that's established amongst a group of players, but you have to understand your norms are not everybody's norms. Mm -hmm. Right? I I did this with gunslinging where Mm -hmm. I told people you can challenge a judge but hey, if they say I'm Tired, or I don't want to do it, or I can't for this reason, or find me later. Respect that. Yeah. (laughs) And go away and don't argue with them about it. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like the same thing with these lenient play standards that I talk about. I am the type of person where I'm going to be lenient where I absolutely shouldn't be. It is not on your opponent or anybody that plays Netrunner to be me. And even if you play with me a lot and you're used to that standard, if somebody else has a different standard, you have to accept that. And it's not a judgment on their moral character. It's just they have a different standard than somebody else. We should be accepting of that, not pass moral judgments because of Mm -hmm. it. I agree.
1: On the topic of gunslinging, should we talk a little bit about gunslinging? To completely rocket back to the other end of the emotional spectrum here. What's a good segment for this? How about Akamatsu Memchip? All out. This time and this time. Wait, really? Holy shit. Okay, well, this week, unexpectedly on Akamatsu Memchip, let's talk gunslinging. You can walk over to the artist table. You can buy promos. You can place in the tournament. You can get promos that way. What were some of the other ways that you could do some of the cool shit at Worlds and potentially win prizes
0: from it? Oh, my favorite was the shitpost. Tell me more. Naturally, The blockchain banner that you saw. That is now in my house. (laughs) I knew the second I made that banner, you were going to be the man that was going to end up with it. I
1: I didn't even like attempt to do that. Danby walked up to me. It was like, hey, do you want the NFT banner? I was like, obviously, I want the NFT banner. For those who haven't seen it, it reads, um, hold on, I have to angle myself so I can see it while also talking near the mic. Stand here if you don't want anyone to explain NFTs, non-fungible tokens, to you for as long as you live. Your reasons do not matter. You deserve peace on your own terms. Let them shackle themselves to the blockchain. Yours shall be a soul unblemished.
0: It's yes. beautiful. <laughs> so we set this up in the hall in the corner and we put a table next to it. And this was a bit of a social experiment. For the first day like nobody took many of these, but we put artificial crypto crash on a table next to the <laughs> sign and I just wanted people to steal them, like just without asking. But I do think that people were respectful and were like what the fuck is this at first, but then it did filter out like no, okay, these are these are okay to take. After Everybody understood that they were okay to take. I had to restock that table like six times. I ran out. like They were fucking gone. Like because people would go over and just grab a set. I think I've got two
1: of them for this exact reason. Like I don't have a full set. You were supposed to
0: do that. Were you supposed to like take a picture with the banner or... So, yes, activating my trap card that I alluded to on Andre's stream was me seeing you standing next to the sign, plucking cards, if you were plucking cards, or taking a selfie and showing the NSG team. Now, I didn't actually offer enough hints that this is how you activated the trap card. (laughs) My bad. Anytime I did see something along this line... I would go over to somebody and basically tell them, let me tell you about blockchain. And I would hand them a, a, a playset of blockchain.
1: Oh, shit. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So the, there was a hidden one. It wasn't just Crypto Crash. You actually had blockchain, too.
0: I had blockchain, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spoiled this on uh, Andre's stream. But also, every time I restocked, I put one and only one blockchain in the pile. The single Blanc chain. (laughs) Uh, We actually ran out of both. There is one thing that I did notice about Worlds, and that is something that we have to, again, shameless plug on the survey when it comes out. There is one thing I noticed about Worlds prizes after gunslinging, just with card prizes, not with any of the special stuff like the uncut sheets, the coins, the belts, things of that nature. But with the card prizes... I always felt over the course of an OP season, I don't like when something's locked to a super high placement, at least cards, because mm-hmm. they're really cheap. It just takes some some ink and some cardboard. There's no reason that they need to be scarce. If we over order them, you know, I don't like blocking the community off of them artificially creating a scarcity that doesn't mm-hmm. actually exist. Mm-hmm. And so with gunslinging, to me, one of the things that was important was that even the highest level card prize, it was important to me that you could get those, a play set or one ID per win. So you had to play a bunch of games in Netrunner to still win these. But to me, it was telling people, come to Worlds. It doesn't matter how good you do. If you want one of these, just play Netrunner and you might get one. And that's how I view it. I learned afterwards that there are some top players that do believe that prizing equates to placement, equates to an achievement. And so they do prefer above a certain level that we aren't as free with those prizes as we actually were. A good example of that is playmats. Playmats ordered 55 of each, and then they rolled down if you were matched on points even if you didn't make the top 32, the standard one actually rolled down all the way to like 40 something. And then the startup one rolled all the way down to like something like 40 as well. Hmm. But I heard from a player who was like, you know, these are supposed to be like top 16, aren't they? These are supposed to be cut mats. They should be unique for these players that are having that high achievement. And while I understand the sentiment, it's another one of those things that strikes me as an opposing philosophy. I get what somebody's saying. Commemorating that achievement is very important and having something that you can tangibly show feels really good mm-hmm. conversely as somebody who didn't make cuts for i don't know the first two three years that i played the game and has made them afterwards it also feels really bad especially when it's like a cheap prize so to speak oh man i'm never gonna get that i don't know i don't really like that so that's that's why we mm-hmm. did gunslinging the way that we did I've, I've got some ways to fix it i think the person who talked about the mats. I think they might be right. I think that we can order 16 unique playmats for the top 16 and be like, these are stamped 1 through 16. They have the same art as the ones mm-hmm. that might roll down to 40, but it says your placement on it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think we can do that. It's not going to cost meaningfully more from Inked to do that.
1: I could maybe see an argument here for the cheaper prizes like cards, rolling those out more slowly. I haven't fully crystallized my thoughts on the matters. So I'm going to fill out the survey. Again, shameless plug, but y'all at home do the same.
0: There's a lot of ways to do it. I want to try to serve both kinds of players. There's some really cool shit that people have missed out on because of cuts. And I eh. for game pieces, I don't like it for commemorative shit. I like it. But I don't know. Again, a I, different I, philosophy. I see your point. But
1: at the same time, like I've always viewed that as just part of the game. Yeah. yeah. OK, they're game pieces. I have game pieces I can play with. They're not as flashy. They're not as shiny. No, I don't have the special top of ID. ID the FFG printed, but like I wasn't the top Apex at worlds. <laughs>
0: and that's a fair for philosophy too, man. It's just, there's a lot of stuff when it comes to OP, when it comes to playing the game, when it comes to all this shit, it's not objectively correct. It's like how we yeah. want it to be, how we want it to be as a community. Everything that you've heard, especially the stuff on gunsling is really just my philosophy. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's what OP philosophy is going to be. I have no interest in forcing my exact vision upon the community Another plug towards that survey. What is important to me more than anything is not seeing my objective best version of tournaments, prizing play. It is seeing what the community wants its game to be. I have opinions and those will influence the policy that I make, but my opinion's are less important than how people want their game and their community to be. So if you want your voice heard, taking as many surveys as we put out is going to be the best way to do it. Well, with that,
1: we've reached the end of the Slumscast for this week. If you enjoyed what you heard on the Slumscast, then good for you. I'm thanks, I guess. But you can also follow the Slums Cast. You should be able to do that in basically anywhere that you are able to follow podcasts, wherever you're currently listening to it, you should probably be able to do it there. Also consider rating us five stars on Apple Podcasts or giving us a thumbs up on Spotify. I hate that I have to say both of those now, but they both exist. Both of those help us in the algorithms to help us show up to more people, blah, 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 blah. Also consider sharing this directly with someone that you think will enjoy hearing our takes or someone that you think will absolutely hate hearing our takes that you want to annoy. You can do that using control and C or command and C if you're on a Mac. Normally we give special thanks to the guest. Uh, Who do we want to give special thanks to this time? Uh, Correct takes. Giving special thanks to ourselves for being fucking awesome.
0: All right. Nice. I like it. But I do have an actual like special shout out or special thanks. Okay. It's to the entire fucking community, man. But yeah, I mean, how could it not be? I know that's like not a hot take. Everybody says this, but. Man, like, fucking Worlds was awesome, wasn't it? Like, fucking... It was fucking sick, yeah. There were so many people there that like I hadn't seen in so long. And like, I don't know, man, I just literally hundreds, multiple hundreds of people
1: tuning in to watch games at Netrunner on their fucking weekend. Right. Oh, it's like, so good. On top of literal hundreds that were there to play Netrunner.
0: I can't believe that after four fucking years, we're still fucking here and it's good and it looks professional and the events are still awesome and the community is full of people that I want to spend time with and we're going to places that I fucking want to be like. Like, what what the fuck, man? Like, how the fuck did we do this? I don't know. So shout out to the community for fucking being (laughs) just stubborn as fuck and not letting things
1: die. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about what you just heard, in two of those cases, that's good news. You can reach us. You can look at the show notes, see the places that you can reach us and give us your questions or comments. If you have concerns, I'm sorry. Those were part of the Nostra Dumbass segment, and we just retired that.
0: Okay. Post credits. Okay. Yes. Sure. Fine. I'm reading the show notes here, and I have no idea what the fuck this means. So this says this bullet point, like (laughs) the Tim Hortonification of Wendy's. Yeah, the Tim Hortonification of Wendy's. The Tim Hortonification. Okay, I got I got the pronunciation wrong
1: there. So this is just one of the most interesting things about driving to Toronto from Boston. First of all, shout outs to that drive. It it was not nearly as bad as you would expect, given that like I was jammed up against boxes and stuff. You know, it's New England in the winter slash driving up into Canada in the winter, like or in, in the fall, I should say. People talk about, you know, like people go north to Vermont or go north to New Hampshire to like look at the leaves changing colors. Motherfucker, we got even more of those because we went into Canada itself. So wow. it, it was actually a fucking great drive for that reason. but. On top of that, we got to witness the Canada fast food scene. And what I found, it's possible that this is just a particular thing for where we were in Canada. It's possible this is just a thing for the particular highways that we were on or like highways in Canada in general. Regardless, the point is everything's a fucking combo thing. There aren't individual fast food buildings in most places. It's like, yeah, we've got the Tim Hortons slash Wendy's. We got the Tim Hortons slash KFC slash taco bell. We got this is a real one. This is a genuine one that I actually saw and posted on Twitter. The Tim Hortons slash Wendy's slash hold on. I have to pull up the picture so I get all of them. There's like fucking six of them. One no moment away. No, I'm I, I'm dead serious about this. This is a Tim Hortons slash Wendy's slash KFC slash subway slash A&W, slash Dairy Queen. Fuck off. I have the picture right fucking here. Look at it. What? A little small. That's like peak fast food right there. What like the it's, fuck? It's, it's large enough to be like a small strip mall. And it's just that. It's just those buildings. There aren't stores attached to it. It's just like, nah. We have this miniature fucking food court right off the highway. Come
0: look at it. Look upon my works, ye mighty, in despair. That's like skipping the middleman of the mall. It's like, we know what you really want. You come here for the food court, (laughs) motherfucker. So we've made just food court. I mean, and sure enough, it
1: got us. We stopped there because we needed breakfast. And we were like, well, we'll go to a Tim Hortons. They just happen to all have like four other stores connected to them.
0: Does that have... (laughs) Should we be worried here? Is that like Tim Hortons like being... Like viral, like literally viral <laughs> to the fast food in that region. Like, is it going to spread like further south? Should we be worried? Is it like apexing these like fast food restaurants? So I think that your concern is
1: valid when it comes to Canada. I don't know. We're, we're, we're not another unnamed podcast. We don't have a fucking Canadian politics corner here. We don't know shit about Canada. We were just there for a few days. But as far as I can tell, Tim Hortons is in fact taking over all other fast food chains and will annihilate all of their Canadian wings by 2025. As far as catching on in the US, I really don't see that happening. You hear Tim Hortons down here and you're like, what, Tim? Who the fuck is Tim? Get out of here, Tim.
0: Uh, I don't think I, I virus like, that we do have immunity to. <laughs> oh, no, fuck. I see. Never That's mind. Never mind.
1: <laughs> I saw four or five Wendy's in Canada and not a single one of them was a standalone Wendy's. I don't think I've ever seen a Wendy's combined with another unless it was literally inside a food court in a mall. I don't think I've ever seen a non standalone Wendy's in the US. And here they were just like, yeah. This is the 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 Wendy's slash DQ slash Tim Hortons slash McDonald's Voltron.
0: What the fuck? I guess it's legal for Tim and Wendy's to get married in Canada. Is that not legal in the
1: US? Is, is there like anti-redhead legislation? I wouldn't be fucking surprised. This is now the American politics corner. <laughs> <laughs> or slash the Canadian fast food corner. As always, these takes are not from uh real Canadians. We we don't actually live in Canada. We were just there briefly, but I am going to say based on a recent track record, they're probably correct takes. I don't know if I go that far. This is how we get back to being Nostra dumbass. Is that something we want? I don't know. It's more on brand. <laughs>